Welcome to the first episode of Mission Time Possible, a podcast where we talk about every Tom Cruise movie. I'm Jason. I'll be joined by Tamara. And your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to listen to us talk about Tom's career, break down his films. And the first one we'll be starting with is Endless Love. Let's get started. All right. Hello, Jason. Hi. <laughs> so I'm very excited to be doing this podcast. Oh, why are you excited about it? Because we have this long tradition in our friendship of you bringing up Tom Cruise to me. Only because I know how you feel about him. <laughs> so, yeah. Tom Cruise is an actor that... I think is very talented, but I'm not necessarily a fan of. Do you, so who do you blame for Eyes Wide Shut being bad, Kubrick or him? <laughs> well, I have this whole theory that working with Tom Cruise killed Stanley Kubrick, but hmm. I have no proof for that. Mm. That movie is bad. That movie yeah, it is, is not good. Bad. We're going to talk all about it. God knows when we'll actually get to that episode, but... It's funny, though. Um, there's a rom-com on Netflix that does Eyes Wide Shut better. <laughs> really? Yeah. What's the name of it? I'd have to tell you later. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. It has, ah. um... has, a uh, Crap. It has crap. No, <laughs> I don't think I'm into that. No, um, has a star of Silicon Valley and Insecure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I will check that out and see what I think about it. Uh, spoiler: I probably will not check that out. You should though. It's it's funny. It's actually a pretty funny movie. I'm in the middle of watching The Sopranos, though, and I'm very committed to that. I mean, but you'll you'll need a, a palate cleanser after, like, every couple episodes, because it gets, de- The Sopranos gets depressing. Yeah, it's, I'm in the, at the very end of season one, and it's pretty dark. Okay, but this is totally not related to Tom Cruise, which is why <laughs> we're here. And I suspect that a lot of times our episodes are going to take these detours into what we're currently watching because we're both big media people. But, okay, Tom Cruise. I think he's talented, but there's just something about him that I just don't like. And I hope that by watching all of his movies with you and talking about them, I can figure out why I think he's so talented, but I don't enjoy him as a performer. Because I can understand if you enjoy him. I mean, I can understand if you not like him, if you don't like him as a person, but enjoy him as a performer. But you can't say he's bad at his job. No, he's a fantastic actor. Um, and full disclosure, I've never met Tom Cruise. I anticipate that I will never meet him because we travel in very different circles. <laughs> but yeah, there's just something about his presence on screen that I've... I've- find moderately off-putting until i write a movie with him in it 
and then I've cast you, get you cast as a love interest, as one, as one elaborate troll. <laughs> well, that'll so, be a very interesting way to make my film debut in a blockbuster. True, true. <laughs> so, um, yeah, our, our conversations about Tom Cruise have spanned our entire friendship. <laughs> because I disclosed very early on, very publicly, my feelings about Tom Cruise. <laughs> I think you did it in the middle of class, too. I did. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, so, yeah, you were in one of my film appreciation classes. And I, I forget how I worked it into the top, into the class. And, <laughs> but I, I'm sure I did somehow. Um, and I disclosed that I don't really enjoy Tom Cruise movies, which I, I think is kind of overstating it. I enjoy some of his movies. Again, it's that thing of like, he's very talented, but there's something off-putting about his presence. And I don't know what that is. And I, I honestly do hope that I'll be able to figure out what's going on in my brain as an audience member. I have a question. Do you feel the same way about John Travolta? No. Huh. And no, we're ixnay on the Ientology say, I'm just saying, <laughs> between the two, John it's, is the creepier of the two. Oh, well, please leave Johnny T alone. <laughs> um, it's it's not like a religion thing. It's I don't know what it is. I honestly, I've thought a lot about it. Um, and I've talked to other people um, who also don't like him, like as a screen presence. And it's mm -hmm. odd because like everybody I know who says that can't entirely articulate why. It's maybe, fascinating to me. Maybe at some point we'll like find the performance that kind of is like, oh, that's it, that's <laughs> it right there. Um, but yeah, like I, I do think he's a very talented actor. Um, I, this is going to be a very interesting journey for me. And we're not just going to talk about him. We are going to talk about the films themselves mm -hmm. and the quality of those films and um gonna people with nostalgia might feel some kind of way <laughs> what we're talking about today not only it's not just it's it's a film it's a definitely a film of, the, of its time and if you like films from this era then you might have to re-examine some things <laughs> I'm just saying. This is not a good movie. No, 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 no. Um, but yeah, so the way I want to structure these episodes is I want to give some background info, talk about the cast, talk about some interesting things about the movie, and then do a plot rundown. And let's just jump on in to the background. All right. <laughs> um, Endless Love was released in 1981. It was directed by Franco Zeffirelli. It was filmed in 1980, a fantastic year, as it also produced me. Um, and it was filmed on location in Chicago, Long Island, and New York City. And this movie is based on Scott Spencer's book um, of the same name, which was published in 1979. And the screenplay was written by a woman, Judith Roscoe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's all, that's all I'm going to say about 
She should be ashamed of herself, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> so, much like Romeo and Juliet, this is a story of two insufferable teenagers from two families, also filled with insufferable people. We have the Axelrods, which include David, played by Martin Hewitt, um, Arthur, David's dad, played by Richard Kiley, and Rose, David's mom, played by Beatrice Strait. We have the Butterfields with Jade, who is portrayed by Brooke Shields, and Jade's mom, who has severe boundary issues, which we will definitely talk about, who's portrayed by Shirley Knight. Don Murray is Hugh, Jade's dad. A delightful James Spader is Keith, Jade's brother. Ian Ziering is Sammy, Jade's brother. And Penelope Milford is Ingrid, who is Hugh's fiance later on, spoiler alert. And of course, our pal Tom Cruise is Billy, and he really ignites the plot. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> We're giving away the most interesting parts of the plot early on. Um, okay, so some fun facts. This is the film debut of Martin Hewitt, who portrays David. It's also the film debut of Jeff Marcus, who would be Albert Einstein in the Alien Nation franchise. Um, Ian Ziering, who distinguished himself on 90210, the original flavor. And may I note that I am wearing my Donna Martin Graduates t-shirt today in honor of Mr. Ziering. He was I also... I was like, I like how I told you that he was in a recent Netflix show, and you completely disrespected him. I don't remember that at all. I don't remember <laughs> you mentioning that at all. Yeah, I told you. I told you him and, um, what's his name were in it? Uh, oh, they run it or they in it? Yeah, no, they were in it. They were in it for a couple, like, couple episodes. Was it, uh, was it Jason Priestley? Yeah. I have no recollection of this conversation. <laughs> See, and that's how I, I, much she hates the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I will go through our text log. Um, he was also in a little film called Sharknado. And it's also the film debut of Tom Cruise. Also, he, Ian's best work is voice acting. Ian. Ian. His best work is voice acting. <laughs> You've mentioned before. Like, yep. whenever he comes up, you mentioned that. That's because the thing he's known for isn't the thing he's good at, if I'm being honest. He was a pretty believable doofus as Steve Sanders. But that show was incredibly bad. Oh, it was terrible. That's why I love it. Because I didn't watch it when it was originally airing. Because um, it was from, like, 90 to 2000, and I was, like nine ten years old when it started so it was why like was this on for 10 years why i know why? Well, i mean Grey's anatomy's been on since like 1945 so some shows just stick around but but wasn't it Grey's anatomy did that take a break for like ever i have never seen a single Grey's anatomy episode so i have no oh. idea oh i thought you were serious about the 1945 oh, no, <laughs> I, was like, no I, was, I was exaggerating yeah. Um, okay, so the MPA gave the initial cut of Endless Love an X rating, and Zeffirelli made a number of edits, um, including some love scenes between Hugh and Shields to get a lower rating. It took five tries to get an R rating. 
So wait, wait, what was the what was the initial rating? X. Which what did they take scenes, out? Some of the love scenes. So I'm assuming some humpy fun times were taken out. I guess it's because of the age of the characters, maybe? Or is this... Well, the rating system's always been stupid. I do wonder how graphic those scenes were, though, because we see some, like, nudity in this version. So what was it like before all those edits? I mean, it had to be full frontal again. I mean, it might have just been literally balls-out nudity. Yeah. Do what I did there. Yeah. You... So Leonard Melton deemed this film a textbook example of how to do everything wrong in a literary adaption, yep. rightfully regarded as one of the worst films of its time. Damn right. <laughs> oh, shit. Wow. Um, Scott Spencer, who wrote the book that the film's based on, um, wrote, Endless Love was botched, misquoted, as it were, once in 1981, when Franco Zeffirelli tried to make a movie out of it. Um, it was remade in 19, I'm sorry, 2014. And Spencer encouraged people to avoid that too. <laughs> Which I kind of love. He's like, don't, don't watch these adaptations. Um, is so, those, are those the only books that he, is that the only book that he wrote? I have no idea. Uh. Um, the film bombed with critics, but it had some box office success. It grossed about $31 million, and it was the 22nd highest earning film domestically in 1981, which I think is probably solely because of Brooke Shields being in it. And honestly, being a 21st grossing film in 1981 isn't saying a lot because it's not like... So, like, I mean, these days there's about 200 films get a major release in the U.S. It wasn't nearly that high in 1981. That's like saying you got 21st in a field of 30. People still went to see it though, which I find amazing. Then again, I guess you didn't really have the same kind of word of mouth that you have now. Yeah, it wasn't social media. There wasn't any of this. I mean, as terrible as the movie is now, I mean, it. well, the remake, didn't I didn't even know there was a remake until I was searching for this movie. Mm-hmm. So the remake obviously didn't get any traction either. Yeah. So had Tom made this movie now, he might have killed his career. Just well, I saying. Think he would demand a larger part in the movie too. Well, this was his first movie though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that's notable about this movie though is its theme song imaginatively titled Endless Love. Um, the only good thing about this movie. <laughs> it, is, uh, it was written by Lionel Richie and performed by Richie and Diana Ross. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, and it won an American Music Award for Favorite Pop Slash Rock Single. Um, it was a number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100. It spent 27 weeks on the chart. Um, Billboard just... Magazine... I just remembered something. Go ahead. Now that I think about it, the only two black people associated with a film made in Chicago are the ones <laughs> the set. they aren't even in front of the camera. I just realized that, like, there's no black people in this movie <laughs> made in Chicago. I don't even yeah. think there are black people in the background. 
I, I don't recall any. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good observation. Um, Billboard magazine chose it as the best duet of all time in 2011, which, eh, it's an okay song. It's not my favorite Richie or Ross song, but it's pretty good. What's that? And the cover is better. Yeah, it's been covered. It's been covered a lot. Um, Luther Vandross, Mariah Carey, Shania Twain, Kenny Rogers. Yeah, it's like the, the, the Vandross Carey cover is better than the original, but that's not Diana Ross's fault. That's just because Vandross and Carey is just, that's just, they're really fucking good. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, she has a memoir coming out in September. And I am so excited to consume Mariah Carey's memoir. Oh, this is going to be messy as hell. I know. I can't wait. I wonder how many chapters Nick takes up. <laughs> I just want to hear dirt on Eminem being awful. I mean, I think we know everything he's done at this point. <laughs> Remember when they had um, like dueling songs about each other? Yeah, let's let's just zoom past that part. It was a simpler (laughs) time. Okay, I have been putting this off. That's why I bring up Mariah Carey's memoir, because now it's time to talk about the plot. (laughs) You ready? All right, let's get this over with. (laughs) The sooner we do it, the sooner we're done. Okay, so the opening credits are shown while we hear a heartbeat in the soundtrack, and the first real image we see in the film is an anatomical heart. Subtle, we get it. It's about matters of the heart. Um, We are in a field trip, I'm sorry, we're on a field trip in a planetarium. Action-packed, there's nothing more exciting than a field trip. Um, David ends up seeing Jade at the planetarium. Like, he's apparently not in her class. He just like snuck in to see her, weird. Um, that's the hottest place to go find your girlfriend and, like, make out with her, right? I mean, yeah, it's not the worst place that they attempt to do things. I'll just say that much at this point. (laughs) Yeah, don't spoil it. So, um, next we move on to David's house, and his parents are rich, judging by how they live and where they live. Um, they refer to themselves as socialists, though. And they pretty much ignore David, and this will become important later on. Which is, that part of it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's just brought up and it's just not acknowledged ever again. That they ignore him? Or that they're no, socialists? They're like, yeah, we're socialists. And they just bring it, they just throw it out. Given that this is almost like peak Cold War, mm-hmm. that they just throw that out there and then just never address it ever again. Which is weird because, like, the Butterfields are way more socially progressive than David's family. So I feel like if anybody would be like, we're socialists, it would be the Butterfields, like, loudly, yeah. proudly proclaiming that. Yeah. But again, but you're right. Like, we're looking at this with, like, 2020 eyes versus, versus like, 1981 eyes. Um, I don't so- know. I still think, like, I think I'd even, I think even more so they would have been in 1980, they should have been, like, more aware of it, given the political climate at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we go to Jade's house, and the Butterfields are getting ready for a party. 
Jade's dad at one point tells Jade that she looks ravishing and barf. Dads don't talk like this. Like, that's weird to, to say that to your daughter. And I, I think it's just indicative of, like, this family's boundary issues and, like, how there's something at the core of this family that's dysfunctional. I'm tempted to look at the book, at least for that, at least in the first couple chapters, just to mm -hmm. see if it's as creepy in the source material as, it, as it's portrayed in the film. Yeah, I I could not be bothered to care about this book. I know that's terrible. Whatever, this isn't a book review podcast. I don't have to read. <laughs> um, we also get to meet Keith now, and he is Jade's delightfully bitchy brother, played by a well-cast James Spader. Keith is probably my favorite character in the entire movie, just because he's bitchy and awesome. And there, there are no likable characters in this movie. But he comes close. No, he's not likable at all. I like that he is just awful. And especially to David, who has it coming. <laughs> so, okay. They're having this party, and it looks like it might be an 8th grade presidential campaign party for Ian Ziering's character. Because there are signs in various shots about the campaign. And a bunch of kids are there, and there's a band playing, and Jade's dad gets up and plays trumpet with the band because he's a real cool dude. And there are a bunch of people, including Jade's parents, who are smoking pot at this rager. And again, like, the boundary issues thing. It's just weird to me to have parents partying with their kids. Who invites a party that with adults and drugs for an eighth grader? Like I don't know. I mean, when I was growing up, I knew people who smoked pot with their parents it might have actually been after high school but they were still like teenagers mm. and that to me was always really weird because why would you want to smoke pot with your parents like, anyway eh. um so yeah um there's like a concert going on and a woman in a deeply regrettable outfit regrettable outfit rather <laughs> I've had too much coffee, um, sings that Ross Ritchie song, Endless Love. And during this song, Jade snuggles in with her dad. And that, coupled with her dad being like, you're ravishing. It's just so gross and so weird. Gross. I know. And then she like nuzzles into her dad and then she moves on to David. And there's something, again, gross hear about how she's like moving from her dad's arms to her lover and ugh, that's the only word I have for it the director doesn't know what metaphor means I'm just gonna say like that <laughs> like, like you don't have to like we get it man um so the song ends the party ends and like let's just move to the part where the Butterfield parents go to bed David pretends to leave, but he just hangs out by the Butterfield's fireplace. Later, Jade joins him, and then they uh, get down to business, if you get what I mean. They gonna fuck. <laughs> so, and Jade's mom goes downstairs, and she witnesses her daughter being plowed by David. So fucking weird. <laughs> so What's weird. that? Yeah. So, well, one, I mean, you probably shouldn't be doing that in your parents' house, at least uh -huh. not in the damn living room. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, she's oh, well, like Anne, like creeps down the stairs, and then she just sits down and she watches her daughter illuminated by firelight, <sighs> being humped by her teenage boyfriend. It's so weird. Like that's not normal. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, so the teens get bolder as the film goes on. Hugh, Jade's dad, sees David naked in Jade's bedroom one day. And like in a later scene, he's like, Jade, no, no, ma'am. You cannot do this. And Jade is like, um, it's my bedroom. I do what I want. I, n- no, ma'am. Mm-mm. I shudder to think what my parents would have done to me if I pulled this level of teenage bullshit. <laughs> Like, no, no, no. It's your bedroom? Yes. But, Jade, you cannot have a naked boy in your bedroom when you are 15. Like, that blatantly, that openly. That's, yeah. that, that, you that's weird. You gotta sneak them in. You gotta learn how to sneak them in. It's like, yo, come on. It's like, you're flaunting it at that point. Like, yeah. what are you doing? And Jade being like, it's my bedroom. I can do what I want. Like, yeah, it is. But, ma'am, you're not paying the mortgage. You were a minor. You were living under their roof. There are rules. Which I, I don't even know if the Butterfields have rules. Frankly. No, they don't. That's they don't. That's one of the problems with the whole family. There's no. I'm not a strict person, but there's got to be like boundaries both yeah. ways. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Uh, so when I was a teenager, my parents. And my friend's parents would let us have, like, co-ed sleepovers. But it was, like, out in the open. And, like, there was parental supervision. And, like, nobody was humping. And, like, you have boundaries that way. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if I had snuck my teenage boyfriend in, no pun intended, when my parents were asleep, there would be hell to pay. I would think, I mean, I'm 39 now, so maybe I'm wrong. I'm just remembering my childhood. But I I feel like my parents would be like, no, this is not happening. You are grounded for all of eternity. Enjoy your 50s in the comfort of your childhood bedroom. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like it's, this whole family has boundary issues. And you can't really blame Jade for having a naked boy in her room when, like, she's clearly getting away with this bullshit. I mean, like, the parents obviously have issues, and then, like, both parents are in the teenagers, which is weird. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a weird thing right there, like, having both parents who are into people that are a lot younger than they are. Oh, you mean, like, Ingrid, the fiancé? Well, no, like, uh, well, the the thing with the dad, and then, uh, well, later on, with, well, with uh, the mom. Oh, God, yeah. We're, we're yeah. going to devote time to that. Um, so, David has the normal teenage reaction of being like, oh, God, your dad saw me naked in your room. He's going to murder me. And Jade's like, uh-uh, just stay, whatever. And, like, she convinces this dumbass to stay over. And then they, like, hump throughout the night. What the fuck? Well, it's not that hard to convince a teenage boy to do something <laughs> stupid. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> um, so 
these nightly hump fests start to negatively impact Jade's grades and her ability to sleep. Um, we have one scene where she's like dozing off in the middle of class. We have another scene where she tries to steal some of her father's um, prescription pills because he's a doctor and he keeps stuff at home. She's caught and they have this like whole like fight about it. And Hugh has like had enough and he depends, he demands, Beth. <laughs> Hugh has had enough and demands that David stops coming by um, for like 30 days. And David throws a shit fit and it's like, come on, David, it's 30 days. And talks no. him down. There's Was something that? now the the way she breaks down during this scene, knowing what I know about Brooke Shields, I don't know how much of that was acting. What do you mean? You know the stuff that goes on with Brooke Shields and her depression because she mm-hmm. what she went through as a child star, because mm-hmm. the her character is obviously dealing with a mental deals with mental illness throughout this film. So I'm just kind of wondering like what kind of headspace she was in during production. That's a good point. And also speaking of Brooke Shields and mental illness and Tom Cruise, later in his career, he makes some interesting statements about all of that. Yeah. <laughs> Which we don't need to talk about here. <laughs> um, so yeah, like David is pissed that he's being asked to not come by and fuck Hugh's daughter for 30 days. And <laughs> he's like, but my boner! Um, so we're treated to a montage of longing looks between David and Jade at school. And then we see the scene in the library where Keith asks a friend over and David's watching them. And, now, hold um, on. We're going to... this A couple scenes before this. Before this. Can we talk about how Spader's character obviously has a crush on David? Yes. And it actually plays into the scene, I think. Yeah. Because like, Keith is like you know, hey, come over to my house for a party. And, like, his friend, who I don't even think is named, is like, yeah. you know, what about your sister? And Keith is like, you know what, whatever, she's single. And then the dude's like, okay, when should I come by? And Keith is like, you know, my house, whenever you want. And earlier in the movie, David is talked about, um, I, I forget how it's brought up, but basically it's stated that Keith brought David into the family. I think Anne says that to David. Yeah, like he and, he basically introduced yeah him to his sister, and now he feels like his sister stole stole his man. And he's That's doing it again. That's basically how he reacts. Yeah, he's doing it again. Yeah, it's it's just funny. It's like like this is why you don't like David anymore because he's he ended up liking your sister more than you. It's like well, when David invites himself out hunting, which weird. Um, he says something about being part of the family and Keith says something like, just because you're fucking my sister doesn't make you part of the family. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, he's got a point. And also, David, don't invite yourself along to things. Rude. I get why David would do it, though, because he wants to make good with the dad. I guess, but... I get So, um, yeah, so Keith witnesses... I'm sorry, David witnesses Keith doing all this stuff. And then we get to another scene, and guess who we get to see on screen? Tom Cruise and some poorly some poorly cut shorts. <laughs> Those are the shortest jean shorts that have ever existed. Um, I want to so... have a conversation. Whoever was working wardrobe, I'm like, you realize <laughs> this is a child, right? Like, <laughs> what are you doing here? He was an adult by that point, wasn't he? I, I don't think I, he might have been barely. Like he might have seventeen, eighteen max. 
Like, it's uh, still kind of creepy. That you're kinda... <laughs> I mean, the shorts were so short in the 80s, though. Like, if you look at, like, workout shorts for dudes, they were short yeah, shorts. True. But I almost feel like, between the way wardrobe cut the shorts and the mm-hmm. way the camera was angled, it's like, what are you doing here? Oh, yeah. There's a point where he rolls onto his back, and, like, you can see his, like, underwear poking out, and I'm scarred. I don't need to see that. I thought stuff was going to pop out. Um, So in this scene, um, Billy, that's Tom Cruise, talks about the time when he was a kid and he tried to burn a pile of newspapers, but he got scared and he put the fire out and his parents like praised him as a hero. So like this adorable story of childhood attempted arson gives David an idea. So dumbass David goes over to the Butterfield's house and witnesses a party, which at least he doesn't go inside. Um, And he sees Jade not kissing that other guy, but he still like gets pissed off. And um, he starts a fire on the front porch. And and, like, who keeps accelerant out in the open like that? Yeah, he's like, you know, we keep my kerosene and my paper, my newspaper right next to each other for no reason. <laughs> it's so dumb. Um, so, yeah, David sets it on fire, then he walks away, and then he goes back in, and by then it's it's just too far gone. Like, it's, the whole house is burning up. So David goes in, he, like, wakes up the household, and he's like, you need to get out right now, and fire destroys the house. Um... Hugh Fireman carries David out because at one point he's like knocked out. Keith kind of like pushes him down the stairs, understandably. Um, so Hugh carries him out, and I'm like wondering how much Hugh regrets saving David's life given everything that happens later on. Hugh, he, Hugh brought that onto himself. Was to keep it, keep it a butt. Before before we get there, I'll just say he brought it on himself. Oh, how he dies? Yeah. Yeah. That's his fault. <laughs> well, it, yeah, we'll definitely talk about it more later, but I agree with you. He did some stupid stuff that was entirely his own fault. Um, not to blame the victim, but whatever. Um, nah, I blame the victim in his case. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, oh. yeah, okay, spoiling it. He walk, He like goes out in front of like a car, a mm-hmm. moving car. Like, yeah, dude, look both ways. That's the first thing you learn. And David was minding his own damn business trying to avoid him. Mm-hmm. That's the wild part. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Um, so we cut to a trial, and David is convicted of arson. He's given um, five years probation and sent to a mental hospital for evaluation. He's forbidden from going anywhere near Jade or her family. And pretty light sentence, all things considered. And it's funny. Well, it's not funny. Had he not said anything, he'd have been okay. That's the fucked up part. You mean like if he hadn't gone in and like saved them? Yeah. He'd have probably been okay. I'll be dead. True. I don't like that family. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't want people to die. Okay. Agree to disagree? I agree in this case. So, um, David is instructed, as I said before, to not contact the family. So what does dumbass David do? 
he writes to Jade all the time, despite the no contact order. Um, the letters aren't sent to his house because, again, no contact order. Um, he eventually gets um, released from the hospital after two years, and he was pissed, which I get it. This kid burned down Hugh's house. I'd be mad too. Um, David gets his pile of Jade letters back, and he's like, oh, this is why she never wrote me. She never got my letters. But it's also like, well, did she ever actually try to write for write to you and were those intercepted like there's no proof that she, you were actually on her mind anymore as anything other than like oh that dude I had sex with who then burned down my house um David is the absolute worst and he's told that the Butterfields moved back east and then he decides to leave Chicago and violate probation slash parole and go try to find Jade David, make better life choices. Um, the Butterfield parents have split up since the house fire. David tracks down Anne, again, Jade's mom, in New York City, and she takes him out to dinner. She plies him with wine, and then she tries to seduce him. I think David should get become, should have become a marriage counselor because he got them to do when none of the other bullshit should have done. <laughs> Can we just talk a minute about how weird Anne is? She watched her daughter having sex, and like she had this like wistful, happy look on her face when she was watching it. And then she like tries to seduce David, and saying, you know, she lived vicariously through Jade's relationship with him. Like Anne, get a vibrator and some boundaries. Yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, both both of her Jade's parents are fucking weird when yeah. it comes to that shit. It's like he, I mean, Jade's viewed as property by her father, and then her mom is just kind of and the younger dudes. It's just yeah. Well, I don't know if it's all younger dudes or just David, because uh, there's no proof, you know. True. Um, but yeah, David shoots her down, saying he only has eyes and dick for Jade. Then when Anne is out of the room, David looks through her address book and finds Jade's address, and she's up in Vermont. So, of course, dumbass David decides to catch a bus to Burlington and catch up with the girl whose house he burnt down. I can't say that enough. He burned down her damn house. Um, so while he's waiting for the bus, David wanders around Manhattan, and he sees Hugh. And Hugh also sees him. And then Hugh gets pissed off and like rushes across the street to confront David and then he's hit by a car. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just I understand being upset at seeing this person who like is on probation, shouldn't be in New York City right now. You probably never want to think about this kid again because again he burnt down their house. But like Hugh, look both ways before crossing the street. Well, I mean, Hugh's not smart. I'm just going to be honest. He's a dumbass. <laughs> and it's just, he creates problems where there aren't problems. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, he either creates problems where there aren't problems, or he lets things fester and get to the point 
where they're just out of control. Mm-hmm. There's no happy medium with him. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I mean, a house fire is usually what brings families together. You you guys got divorced? What the hell? <laughs> like, come on. I, I wonder what else happened. And maybe this is in the book. Um, because they were clearly... never going to read. <laughs> there are clearly other issues going on in that family. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. But, I mean, you... the, the parties and the, the drugs and everything. Around. I mean, I don't care about drugs. But it's like, it's just, so, it's just a weird environment to have yeah. three kids around. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, in 1980-81, pot was not legal. No. So, the parents, who are, like, both respectful, like, Anne's a writer, he's a doctor, they're using illegal drugs with teenagers. It's just a weird scene. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, Hugo splat, and dumbass David sticks around to look at the body. Because why? And then Hugh's fiance Ingrid gets a good look at David, and then David takes off. And David is really good at being stupid. Yeah, why? Well, I don't. If if he had just stayed gone, that'd have been like the smart thing to do. But he mm-hmm. doesn't. And I'm not even talking about the going finding Jade situation. I'm talking about something that happens a little later. Mm-hmm. It's just like had he had just. Like, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity just to exit. Yeah. Little Irish goodbye, and that's <laughs> it. Just make a quiet, discreet departure. Yeah. This is not the airport. You don't have to announce it. Exactly. Um, so David goes back to Anne's apartment, and Keith is there, and so is Ingrid. Ingrid doesn't seem to recognize David at this point, though. So David has a quick potential reprieve, maybe, I don't know. Um, And then Anne encourages him to go back to his hotel. Why do you think Ingrid didn't recognize him? Is it just that she was like in shock? Eh, How much time did they say? Nah, it's not even a lot of time has passed. I'm bad writing. Well, you or, know, when you read that book, you'll have to tell me. I'm not reading a damn book. You know, well, <laughs> you know what? What wouldn't surprise me as if there was a longer period of time in the book, and when they adapted the book to film, they didn't properly adjust things. Mm. They didn't. They didn't. You know, didn't change dialogue. They didn't change certain things to make things make sense, yeah. which isn't. It's which happens often in bad adaptations. Yeah. So later that day, Jade's in town because her dad's dead. And she, like, finds out where David's staying, and then she says goodbye to him in person. And she refuses to get back together with him because he keeps asking her. And she's like, no, thank you, sir. And then he throws her on the bed and pins her down. Unacceptable. But then she cries, and they kiss, and they get back together. So, Jade, what the hell? I I don't understand it. Because your instinct was right. Don't be with this guy. Keith tracks them down, and he asks them both to come down to the lobby. 
and he tells Jade that David is responsible for Hugh's death. Jade refuses to believe it because I guess arson is one thing, but murder is entirely another and inconceivable. Um, David tells Jade that, you know, he was there at the scene when Hugh died and she is understandably upset. Um, David tries to explain how Hugh died and how it was an accident, but Keith is just not having it. Um, so David and Keith have this physical altercation. They bust up the set as they toss each other around. Um, David's arrested and the cops punch him as they re remove him from the scene. Um, and we don't see him again for a little bit. Before we see him again, we see Jade tell her mother that she'll never love anyone like she loves David. Like, Jade, you're 17. I know it feels that way when you're 17. We've all been there. Trust me, you don't want to marry your high school sweetheart. <laughs> some exceptions. I know some people actually married their high school sweethearts and they're very happy. That might just be my own bullshit being projected onto this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like my point stands. Like, Jade, you're 17 and this kid burned down your house. I'm pretty sure even you could do better. Yeah. <laughs> you really don't like her. I don't like anyone in this movie. I think all the terrible people deserve each other, if I'm being honest. I just... David's so awful. Actually, David's parents aren't that bad. So I like David's parents. David's parents try to get his ass some help. Yeah. Well, then they get him out. Um, but so... I do not recommend this movie at all. No. <laughs> and, a little bit. Anne seems to be okay with Jade feeling like this. And, and, like, I know, Anne, that you wanted to fuck David because you were, like, living vicariously, but be a parent for half a second and set your daughter straight. Um, so Get your last... daughter some therapy. Shit. Yeah, something. Because there's something going on with therapy. It's, like, David is somehow doing well in his classes and apparently being able to sleep. Like, Jade says that she can't sleep. Like, mm -hmm. it, why is she up all night? It, it can't just be humping. I mean, how how long can David last? Well, it's not just that. It's like the whole freak out she has mm -hmm. when her um, Hugh takes the drugs from her. It's yeah. like, whoa, something's going on here. Like, maybe we should all go to family therapy. Like, nah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so the next thing we see is David behind a window looking out. And um, we're not sure where he is, um, if it's a prison, if it's a hospital, whatever. So we see him looking out and then we see Jade walking toward the window. So clearly they're gonna like have another interaction, but it's left there. We don't know the future of their relationship. We don't know if he burns any other structures down. I, I want my two hours back on this love. Trash. It's not good. And, like, it's the thing I said at the beginning of this episode about it being like Romeo and Juliet. I stand by that because I also hate that play. Because it's this whole thing of like teenagers being utterly in love and like everything has to revolve around their relationship and they make bad, dumb choices. <sighs> Why was this ever considered romantic? 
Okay, so the Wikipedia says that David's in prison at the end of the film. Right, but there's no actual proof of that. You know what I mean? Like nothing's that's, ever. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's plausible, but yeah, we don't. We just don't know for sure. Well, like so, the scene it says David watches Jade walk toward him through a barred cell window, but you don't really see any bars. So I guess I could rewatch it, but. Yeah, it's very. It's, the ending's kind of. Meh. It's not handled well. The whole movie's not handled well. Yeah. And I do think that there is this, like, tendency in teenagers to think, oh, the person I am with now is my forever person. And, like, bullshit like this just perpetuates that. I mean, at least we know it's not a. We at least we know it's like a recurring theme, not just in, in film with teenagers, but teenagers in general. Like mm-hmm. it's just a common phase that they all go through. And like sometimes the person you're with when you're 15 or 17 is your forever person. Like that does happen. I know people it's happened to, and they're very happily married to this day. Like you know, decades after they met each other, but. <sighs> I'm pretty sure neither one of them ever burned down the other's house. You don't know unless you ask. <laughs> I'm going to text my friend immediately now. Hey, when we were in high school, did you burn down? Oh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure she didn't. Um, but yeah, like it's... I hate that message of, you know, someone loves someone else so much that they're meant to be that they can overcome anything and you know what if someone burns down your fucking house maybe you don't need to like get over that (laughs) i i just i hate their relationship i hate how it's treated like it's true endless love when in fact it's just two dumbasses with boundary issues yep it is uh, yeah, just bad, bad, bad. It's not the worst '80s teen movie I've seen. Mm-hmm. It's probably top two though. What do you think the worst one is? Oh no, Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller, purely for the rage that I feel when watching it, because I think his friend should have stomped him out a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like that movie at all. I don't like, and it's 99% of the character, uh-huh. because no character, no one puts up with shit like that for that long. Well, Either his can't... parents come down on him, or like, his buddy, you get stomped out by your friends. It's like, nobody goes through life like that that long without something happening. Yeah. It's kind of like Zach Morris in Saved by the Bell, where like, everybody loves him, even though he's the worst. I don't know about Zach, because Zach's, Zach's, you had, Zach fell on his face a lot, and there were consequences for his actions often, he, he was dealing with stuff, and then, I mean, there was, there was always stuff happening with Zach, so it's not like he just skated, and just got away with shit, but he just kept doing it. I think Zach uh, kept doing this shit because it was the only way he'd get attention. The only way he would get, like, discipline is if he did get in trouble. 
With like, because Belding was the only one who was willing to pull him aside. God, it's so weird that Principal Belding wanted to be friends with that group of people so much. Well, they needed parental figures, and he didn't have any kids, so. But I, it almost felt like he was trying to be one of the cool kids and like overly indulgent. This is not a Save by the Bell podcast. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I have opinions about that show, though. We should do a Say by the Bell podcast. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no, I'm not putting myself through that. <laughs> nope. Are so you going to watch the remake? Oh, well, not the, re- not the remake, the uh, the new Say by the Bell show. Uh, yeah. You know I love my trash 90s media. So bad. Are you going to watch it? Hell no. <laughs> that was a quick no. Quick and emphatic. Um, so yeah, that's the end of my plot summary for Endless Love, this movie that I've actually watched twice now and I have hated both times. You yeah. trash trash. Yeah. Trash. It's not great, but it did give us Tom Cruise's first role. A very brief appearance, but still noteworthy for that reason. True. And he did, his career did at least up. He, he had, it's his only bit, well, I wouldn't say, would you say this is his only bit role? Because he does have cameo appearances and stuff. Um, I mean, but the, the smaller roles he has, like in Tropic Thunder... Yeah. They're not like this. They're not like yeah. Lincoln, you'll miss it. It's more like you know it's him. And it's like yes. kind of integral to the plot. Maybe not integral, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. It's yeah. a very memorable point in the yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are other movies um, before his career really picks up steam where he has smaller roles, like in The Outsiders. But it's more than one scene and it's more than like a handful of lines. Yeah. Yeah, but, I'm excited to continue this journey with you. I, we just need to make it out of the 80s and we'll be okay. <laughs> Top Gun. Top Gun is where it all changes. It's so far away. A few from now. Several from now. So Yeah. See. But before then, we have legend and the outsiders and all the right moves and all these other movies that like people probably forgot about oh the outsiders is pretty good but... what which one you said the, the outsiders, outsiders? Oh, yeah. oh i thought you were like jokingly saying what about it being good like how dare you say that's good Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Mission Time Pod. If you enjoyed this episode, um, tune in for our next one. We'll be covering taps.